0: Uh, We're continuing today more of uh, the Armor of God series. This is the third of four, unless you guys do more. (laughs) Change your mind, you want to do more? Okay. Uh, The text is Ephesians 6.10 through 14. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Lord, heaven and earth, the spirit world and the the world we see are are before you. Lord, we do not see much of what we're going to discuss today. Lord, but we we do it by faith and we do it by your spirit. Father, please open our eyes. Help us to understand in our hearts what you would say to us today. Open Josh's mouth so that he can speak your words God, just please give us understanding and open our eyes, Lord, in our ears. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Good morning. As we were uh, worshiping, a verse came to mind. I I, I didn't look it up. I think it's in Psalm 60 or Psalm 61. It's the very first verse. And it says, um, May God arise and may his enemies be scattered. You know, as we uh, are talking about spiritual war- warfare, I'm going to move this over a little bit so I can move around. As we're talking about spiritual warfare, um, one it just dawned on me this morning, it's not nothing new. It's nothing new that you haven't thought about either. But it just is so powerful that our, our worship, our singing even, is part of our warfare. And when God is lifted up, uh, the enemy is is scattered. When God is exalted... Through our worship and through our singing and through our declarations of his praise and glory, the enemy is scattered. When Jason is up here declaring what God has done through Christ in order that we might draw near, the enemy is scattered. And um, <clears throat> God is here today. And I love what uh, David just prayed, just that there's so much we don't see. And when we talk about spiritual warfare, it, um, you know we can, we can really get off in one of two ways um we can get off in the direction that the devil is around every tree and in every car engine and uh every uh basement dark room and um, you know that he's everywhere that he is doing everything and uh you know almost almost give him this place of omnipotence and omnipresence and that is that's not true that's the bible never points us in that direction um but we can also get off in the other, fall on the other side of the road into another ditch, and that is to live life largely as though there is no devil, as, as though there is no invisible world and invisible enemy. And that, that is an incredible danger. <clears throat> uh, this was quoted at prayer the other night. I think I've said this, I have said this before, I think in a message. But there's a movie. I won't name the movie because I don't want you to go out and watch it. Um, I would not suggest watching it. But there's a line in the movie that says, "The devil played the, the biggest trick in the world by convincing it that he doesn't exist." And so we, we want <clears throat> to we want to be aware of the battle, be aware of the enemy, not be superstitious, but fight the battle in the way that God has called us to and for his glory. If you knew it's dark outside and you knew that there was a lion outside you guys remember a couple years ago when that um there was a, a man in ohio that had a farm and it had all these exotic animals like african lions and tigers and like grizzly bears and stuff like that in these big cages and what he did he let all of them free and then killed himself you guys remember that does anyone remember that story it got me thinking, it's like, oh my goodness, what would you do if you looked out the window and saw this African lion run through your yard? You know, not like a dog or even a mountain lion, but like this 400-pound, big, mane lion running through your yard. Well, imagine you hear there's a mountain or a lion running through town, it's nighttime. When you go outside, in fact, you might not go outside at night. You're going to be really careful at night but you're going to be very cautious. The Bible says that the devil, our adversary, is like a lion seeking to devour. And so when, when the Bible tells us that, that, that the, the devil's like this lion that wants to devour, and I think the context says, it points us in the direction that he wants, us, he wants to devour our faith because we're to resist him firm in our faith, when the Bible tells us that there's this devil that wants to devour us like this large African lion that you have no chance against on your own without weapons. That ought to give us real serious consideration about the enemy that we face. And not... We don't want to, again, fall off in the ditch of, you know, superstition, that there's lions everywhere. But we certainly don't want to fall into the ditch where we just are totally ignorant of the battle and of the enemy. And I would say, at least I know for myself, I tend to fall off into the ditch where I don't, I don't give much consideration To the enemy. And so this teaching series, I know, is very good for me to be thinking about these things. There is a serious battle. Charles Spurgeon said, to be a Christian is to be a warrior. It's to be a warrior. Or if you want to put it this way, it's to be a soldier. To be a soldier in the army of Christ. And so we are told in this passage to put on armor. We're told to put on some weaponry or defense armor to war against or to battle against or to resist the enemy. And one thing that I think is abundantly clear in this passage, the first four verses, 10 to 13, is that the enemy is really strong. You have no chance against him, but also the armor that God wants to give you is totally sufficient. And so if you are strong in the Lord, and if you put on the armor he gives you, then you are safe, you'll be strong, you'll be protected, you will be sufficiently supplied to fight against the enemy. Which is why it says two times, put on armor. Specifically, put on the whole armor of God. Now if... If God is all-powerful and all-knowing and he is everywhere at all times and he has come to us as people and he loves us and he cares for us and he has armor for us, listen, I want that. I want his armor because he is sufficient in every single way. I am not sufficient. I am totally insufficient in myself. So we want to put on the whole armor of God. It's interesting, again, in the first four verses, it tells us why we're to put on the armor. Very specifically, it says, put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. David said, unseen world, right? This is what's so hard about the battle that we fight. It would be a lot easier. I'm not saying it would be fun, but it would be a lot easier if we just knew there were like some big guys with big guns coming after us. We could see them with our eyes, right? We can just try to get some bigger guns or get some bigger guys on our side. But it's this unseen battle. The schemes of the devil, his schemes and strategies against us are unseen and secret, you might say. I think as John Calvin has said, he attacks us from concealment. So put on the whole armor of God that you may stand against the schemes of the devil. And then it says the same thing in a little different way a little bit later. It says, put on the whole armor of God, again, that you may be able to stand in the evil day. There's, commentators have different thoughts on what the evil day means. Um, If it's like, you know, for for Christians, there are certain days that we just, it's the evil day. I mean, like, man, we really need to stand firm on this day as we're fighting and battling this thing we're going through. Uh, I would say, I don't know. I'm not sure I agree with that. I would say we live in an evil day. We live in a very evil day. But Christ, God's armor is sufficient. You and I... Fight from a place of victory. You and I fight from a place of victory. Jesus didn't die on the cross, rise from the dead, go to heaven and say, good luck. He said, I'm going to give you my spirit. Here it says, I'm going to give you armor. You're going to be well taken care of. And the Bible is very clear that we, because we've trusted in Christ, we've died with him, we've been raised up with him. And just, and really, it's an amazing thing, we are seated with him in heavenly places. Ephesians 1 says, far above all rule, power, and authority, and every name that is named in this age and also in the age to come. And He has put everything under Christ's feet. And we are part of Christ's body. So we fight from this place of, victory. And the first piece of armor we want to look at today is the belt of truth. Listen, very simply, I want you to leave today having fastened the belt of truth. That's my goal today, is that you and I would fasten the belt of truth. Okay, very simple. I mean, I have some other things I'm going to say, but I want you to leave today having fastened the belt of truth. So, let me read verses 13 and 14 again. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Verse 14, stand therefore, having fastened the belt of truth. Some commentators, some it's really kind of divided half and half. Probably half the commentators or, or resources I found on this verse said the belt of truth is truthfulness. And like David says in Psalm 51, God desires truth in our inward being. So being true people, being truthful people, or being men and women of integrity. Although I think that is massively important. I think that is hugely important. I found some things that were very helpful and very challenging in that respect. I'm convinced that is talking about something That God gives us, namely, his divine revelation and truth. Because it is called the armor of God. So, put on the belt of truth. Put on the truth that God has given us in his word and especially in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not talking about dry theology. I'm not talking about dead doctrine, just rote memorization of facts and information. And we can say, I know the Bible because I know information. No, I'm talking about life-giving truth. Jesus says in in John chapter 8 that there is truth that sets us free, right? So I'm talking about the truth that sets free, the truth from God that comes to us through his word, by his spirit, and especially the gospel of Jesus Christ that sets us free, that is life-giving, that changes us from the inside out. So we're to put truth on like a belt. We're to put truth on like a belt. So this morning, over and over, you're going to hear me say, put truth on like a belt. I was thinking yesterday um, afternoon, I wonder why the belt of truth is the first um, piece of armor that's spoken of. I, I think I don't think that was by accident. I think that was by design. I wouldn't say that the belt of truth is the most important of the pieces of armor. I, I wouldn't say that at all. But I think it's instructive for us to think for just a bit. Why was the belt of truth chosen first? Well, I think the belt of truth is foundational for us. It is. Foundational for us, it builds a foundation for you and I by which we can fight against, defend ourselves against the devil's schemes. Um, no doubt, as Paul's writing this, he has in mind because he sees these guys probably every day—Roman soldiers, right—and they got their gear on, they got their armor on, they had their sword, they're ready to uh, guard Romans' interests and in fighting against enemies. All of that, okay. And the Roman soldier, for them, the belt that they would put on was absolutely necessary. We we might think, you know, I wear a belt sometimes, not really to hold my pants up or anything like that, but more for fashion or whatever if I tuck my shirt in. But for them, it was absolutely necessary to have the belt. For one, because they wore undergarments that would hang down between their knees and ankles. And if they didn't have their belt of truth on, they they couldn't tuck their undergarments underneath that belt and they wouldn't be able to move swiftly in battle. And the other reason they wore the belt of truth was because some of the other armor that they wore, like the breastplate, rested on the belt. And the sheath for the sword was attached to the belt. So for the Roman soldier, the belt was absolutely foundational. And for you and I, truth, truth, wearing it like a belt is absolutely foundational. Uh, Francis uh, Schaeffer said um, that the Bible gives us God's absolute truth claims on everything that it speaks about. And he goes on to say, so we know that Jesus came down to earth and lived and died and rose again and ascended to heaven and is coming again. And we know everything else that Christianity teaches, not because we've had some subjective experience to inform us of that. But because the Bible is God's absolute truth for Christians. And so we need to put the belt of truth on God's absolute truth claims for us. You know, existentialism was something that, I'm not sure exactly when that came, maybe early 1900s, but I think that's what Francis Schaeffer is dealing with there. Existentialism basically says this, that truth is what I make it. Truth is determined by my subjective impressions Truth is determined by my experiences, my life experiences, my history as a human being all informs me of what truth is. Christianity goes in a different direction. Truth is fundamentally outside you and me. It comes from God to us, which is why we need to take God's belt and put it on. Back in the 1500s, during the time of the Protestant Reformation, um, the, the Protestant reformers, led by Luther and um, Zwingli and Calvin and others, John Knox, um, they had well, a, a mantra, you might say, or like a battle cry. Um, well, they had several, but one of them was, the Latin phrase was sola scriptura, which means scripture alone. It was something that they fought for. It was one of the great outcomes of the Protestant Reformation. It's part of our heritage as their forefathers in the faith. But sola scriptura means Scripture alone is our authority and our foundation for truth. Now, the Protestant uh, Reformers were fighting against the Roman Catholic Church on the one side and another group of maybe kind of fanatical people on the other. The Roman Catholic Church said that, that... Authority for truth came down from the papacy, from the pope and the hierarchy underneath him. The pope and the cardinals worked its way down to the people, and then we received truth. On the other side that they were, they were fighting against, on the other side, a group of people called the Anabaptists. And the Anabaptists had this idea that since everyone has the Holy Spirit, every Christian has the Holy Spirit, we don't really even need the Bible then. Right, we just, receive, we just receive truth directly from the Holy Spirit. We don't need God's word. We just need the Holy Spirit to tell us. Without the belt of truth, you and I are without a foundation. We're without a foundation to stand upon. Think of it like this. Without the belt of truth, you and I, don't get beyond the first step in the battle against the devil. Just like without the belt, a Roman soldier wouldn't be able to take more than one or two steps. He'd be tripping over his undergarments. He would have no sheath for his sword. He would have no place for his breastplate to rest upon. We need God's truth. We need God's truth. We need to be people that are not content with platitudes about being committed to truth. But put truth on like a belt to hold us together and to give us the truth that we need to fight against the enemy. Without the belt of truth, without truth as our foundation, we are like... You guys ever seen that show? I think it's on Discovery Channel. Um, Deadliest Catch. You guys ever seen that? It's these uh, crab fishing boats. And they're out in the Bering Sea. The Bering Sea is like this between, I think, Russia and Alaska. And it's this really, really dangerous and wild sea. Without the belt of truth, you know what we're like? We're like a little two-person lifeboat out on the Bering Sea in a typhoon. It's being blown all over the place, here and there, tossed to and fro. We need God's truth. So put truth on like a belt. The belt of truth is also given to us because it is just the right armor to defend against what I think is the devil's chief tactic, which is lies. The belt of truth is given to us because it is just the right... I love how God gives us just what we need. He gives us a belt of truth so that we can fight against or resist... The devil's chief tactic, which is lies, at the very beginning in Genesis chapter three, right? God made everything, heaven and earth, all the animals, all the f- flying creatures, all the creatures in the sea, human beings last. And then we get to Genesis three. Right? Everything was great. We get to Genesis three, and Adam and Eve are in the garden. They're enjoying life. They're doing what God had told them to do. They're perfectly obedient. Fellowship with God is great. And a serpent comes. And what does he do? Right off the bat, he lies to them. He, he plants words of deception. He's a deceiver. And that's exactly what he did to Adam and Eve. He said, did God really say? And that's what he does to you and I as well. Do you know that God, or do you, you know that the devil and his partners in crime whisper and plant words of deception in your ears in the quietness of your sleep at night or through other people or through things you hear on the radio or watch on television. There are seeds of doubt and deception planted all the time all over the place. He lies about God. He lies about us. He lies about the purpose for life lies about other things too but those are three things I thought of just massive things he lies about God have have thoughts ever come to your mind like is God really like that I've always been taught that God is holy it's very popular in our day to say has God really said does the Bible really say that there's a place called hell right right Does the Bible, does it really say that marriage is between one man and one woman? Does it really say that? There's this massive move in parts of the church right now. They're saying, does it really say that? Let's just, if we take this verse and if we actually could mean maybe something like this. Lies about God. He also lies about you. He lies about you. He lies about who you are, your identity. He lies about your sin. On the one hand, he wants to convince you your sin is not a big deal. Just keep doing it. If it feels good, it's fine. Don't worry about it, right? There's this hyper-grace movement in some parts of the church where they take it to such an extreme... That it doesn't matter now, it doesn't matter how you live now that you are in Christ. And on the other hand, he also lies about your sin by whispering in your ear that you've really blown it this time. No one knows what the unpardonable sin is, but I'm convinced I've committed it today. Right? And of course, the devil would love to convince you that you have. He lies about the meaning of life. He lies to us about the meaning of life. Remember at the end of um, 1 John, it says the whole world is under the power of the evil one. The whole world is under the power of the evil one. God is sovereign. The devil is not sovereign, but in some way God has given the devil lots of authority, lots of power in the world such that John the apostle said, the whole world is under the power of evil of the evil one. He lies to us about the meaning of life. If you were to ask the Apostle Paul, what is the meaning of life? He would say something like, he he might say, Philippians 121, which says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If you were to ask Syrian Christians on the run for their life, right? Hiding out, always looking over their shoulder, wondering if some ISIS crusader is going to come and take them And kill them. If you were to ask them, what is the meaning of life? They would probably say something like, Jesus is life. If you were to ask the average American Christian, what is the meaning of life? I'm not saying what they might say with their lips, what is in their heart is something like the American dream. health wealth and happiness right he lies jesus said in john chapter 8 he said that that satan is the father of lies he's been lying from the beginning that's all he does he doesn't know how to speak the truth he lies he's the father of lies So you and I need to fasten the belt of truth. God's armor that he's given us. Put on the belt of truth. You know, as soldiers of Christ, our lives are meant to be shaped and molded. Our minds, our hearts, our lives, the way that we live are meant to be shaped and molded by God's truth. There's this amazing verse in, in Romans 6. It says, um, "It says, but thanks be to God that, that you were obedient to the word of truth to which you were committed. Praise be to God that you were obedient to the word of truth to which you were committed. Paul's saying, I committed you. I don't think he's saying the Romans committed themselves to God's truth. He's saying, I committed you to this truth and praise be to God that you've been obedient from the heart to that truth that word committed means to be given over to something or some commentators have said that it means to be poured into a mold your life and my life are meant they're meant to be molded and sculpted and shaped by God's word and it is so easy i i do this I wanted God to help me to just take God's word and rather than my life being shaped and fashioned and molded by the word of God like being poured my life, my mind, my heart over a mold and filling out that mold. I take God's word and there's some things I don't like about it. And there's some things, you know, just don't quite set well with me and i shape and i fashion and i mold it to fit my life when paul deals with division in the town in the uh, city of philippi there was division among the people there he um, he doesn't just say guys knock it off get with it Stop acting like jerks. He could have maybe said that, but he didn't do that. He cuz he was after their lives being shaped and molded by the truth. And so what did he do? He, he he went point went a different direction. He he told them about Christ. He said instead of just thinking about yourself, think about others. Put others' thoughts and opinions and ideas and put others' needs before your own. Have this mind in you that is, all, that is yours in Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by becoming a human being. And he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He's dealing with division. And what do, what do they need? They need truth. They need their, their lives and their minds and hearts to be molded and fashioned after truth. And so he brought the truth of Christ to bear. Have you ever thought, this is where the rubber meets the road. Have you ever thought, I, I know people say God loves me, but I don't feel like God loves me. Don't take this the wrong way, because I need to hear this too. You know how irrelevant that is, whether or not you feel God's love? Please, I want to feel His love. But do you know how irrelevant it is, whether or not we feel dust coming down, whatever, the warm fuzzies, goosebumps? You know how irrelevant that is? God's Word says. For God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son, so that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have eternal life. Right? God has said, "I love you." Here's what I've done to show you: I sent my my Son, the Lord Jesus. He came down. He lived a perfect life, the life you could never live. He died on a cross to atone for all your sins. He rose from the dead, and this is love. First John four tells us, "This is love." Not that we feel his love, but that he did something so glorious, so costly, so beautiful to show us his love. When Martin Luther stood before um, the Roman emperor, this is right at, at the very beginning of Reformation time, stood before the Roman emperor and they demanded that he recant his writings about the Catholic Church, about all of the um, ridiculous things they were doing, that he recant all of his writings about justification by faith and about uh, the scriptures and all of that. And listen, Martin Luther needed something more than a feeling. Something more concrete, something more sure to stand on. They told him, recant or you're going to be burned at the stake. A feeling or an emotion or something like that is just not going to cut it at that moment. Do you ever feel like your life is up and down and here and there and you live by your emotions and your feelings and your circumstances? Just be honest, I do. We need God's truth. We need our minds and our hearts to be shaped and fashioned after God's truth. And as soldiers of Christ, that's what God wants to do. Something amazing happens when we do this, when we when we commit ourselves, we fasten on the belt of truth, we get serious about truth. I want to know truth. Our minds and hearts and our emotions and our affections—not all of our circumstances by any means—begin um, to become, to come more and more in alignment with God's truth when we put on the belt of truth, and we, our minds are shaped after truth, and our hearts are shaped after truth. So, how do we put on the belt of truth? That's, I suppose, that's the the million-dollar question. Is this, um, you know, is this like a ten-year plan? Like, it's something we've got, to work, we've got to work at for 10 years, and then after 10 years, I think we might be there. That belt might be on. That would really stink if it did. In fact, that'd be the worst. I don't know. That'd be terrible. No, I'm, I'm, convinced, that, I'm convinced that you and I can put on the belt of truth today. In fact, I told you, I, I, I showed my hand up front. That's what I want you to do today, is actually put the belt of truth on. So how do we do that? How do we put the belt of truth on so we can stand against the schemes of the devil? We can withstand and stand firm in the evil day. Three things. First, you put the belt of truth on by becoming a student of God's word. And the reason I put it that way is because you can become a student of God's word today. You might be thinking, I'm not, I've, I, I, don't, I, I, I don't understand the Bible. I don't get in it very often. I, I feel like a failure. Okay, that, okay. just take a step back for a moment, okay? When I, when I decided to go to Iowa State, I was a student when I enrolled at Iowa State before I went to any classes, right? You can become a student of God's Word today by enrolling in the School of Christ, some of you might be balking at the word "student." That just sounds like like all we're going to be doing is sitting in classrooms, or we're just, it's just all about you know information, exchange or something like that. But really, student, the word "student" is very closely akin to the, word, the Greek word for "disciple." To be a disciple of Jesus is to be do you know what it means? It means to be a learner. It means to be a pupil. He is our teacher. He is our leader. And we're sitting under him. We want to learn from him. We are a learner underneath Christ. So be a student of God's word. If the bulk of your input on a daily basis is television, your mind and heart, and life will be shaped by that. <clears throat> I I, uh, I sometimes will listen to talk radio in the mornings. Um, if I'm in my office working on some stuff, I'll just uh, listen to some talk radio. I just it just dawned on me one time. It's like, man, if I listen to this for two hours and I just hear all the man all the bad stuff going on. It begins to shape my life. Has anyone else ever been there before? If the bulk of your input is from social media, your life will be shaped by that shallow, superficial, surfacey, fun, not real. But if your input comes from the scriptures, your life will be shaped by it. Jesus prayed for us in John 17. He did pray for you and I in this too. And he said, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Become a student of God's word. Become a student of God's truth. Approach God's word with faith. With faith that this is true. I'm not looking for a feeling. I'm not saying this is true if I feel like it's true. And listen, I I know you might be thinking, now wait a second, that just sounds like mind over matter. I'm just telling myself this is true whether I feel it or not. Well, I'm just saying that's where we need to start. I'm not saying we want to be there forever. I'm not saying we never want to be moved by the truth. Of course we do. But approach God's word with faith and not a feeling. And approach God's word ready to be obedient. Ready to be obedient. I, I, it came to me this, this week, and it just seemed to fit in with this idea of the belt of truth. Um, Jesus, at the end of the, the Sermon on the Mount... He compares two men, one who built his house on sand, one who built his house on the rock. And he says, this foolish man built his house on the sand. I think I'm inverting this. I think it actually goes the wise and the foolish. But anyways, the foolish man built his house on the sand. He's the one who, you know, built his house on the sand. And when the storms came, the wind came, the rain came, the waves came, his house Crumbled. Kind of makes me think about not having the belt of truth on, not having a belt on for a Roman soldier. He crumbles. he's He's in no condition to fight against the storms of the enemy. The wise man built his house on the rock. And so when the storms came and the wind came and the waves came, the house withstood the storms. Now, what is the difference between these two men? They both heard the word, the foolish man didn't do anything with it. He didn't do what he heard. The wise man heard and was obedient. So become a student of God's Word. Sit under Christ. Learn from Him in the Scriptures. Come in faith and come ready to be obedient, just a readiness to do what it says. And I, know, I realize that might require us to humble ourselves. Maybe we've never approached God's word that way. I, I mean, ready to do what it says. Very practically, what does this mean? Some, I, I, I can hear, because I feel the same way sometimes. I don't have any extra time to become a student of anything. That may or may not be true. I mean with your with your regular schedule right now, it may or may not be true, but you could get up earlier in the morning. If there's a devil prowling like a lion, it might be worth it. maybe. Um, could t- turn the television off for a half hour a half hour earlier in the evening if that is something you typically do. Become a student of God's word. Number two, you put on the belt of truth by committing to a community of truth. You put on the belt of truth by committing to a community of truth. 1 Timothy 3.15 says that the church is the pillar of, And buttress or support of the truth. That God is entrusted to the church. Faithful churches who open up his word and want to see what it says and preach from the word and are committed to his truth. He's committed to the church, his truth, and and we're the pillar and support of his truth. And so commit to a community a community of truth, to be around others that you can speak the truth to them and they can speak the truth to you and they can speak to situations in your life bringing the truth to bear on it and you can speak the truth into their lives bringing the truth to bear on them. I love Acts 2.42. It says, After the Holy Spirit came, Peter preached the gospel on the day of Pentecost. Many were saved. They were baptized. And at the end of the, the second chapter of Acts, it says, um, that they were all together. And it says they were devoted to certain things. I love the word devoted. They committed. Okay, same thing. They were devoted to certain things. Here's the first thing they were devoted to was the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to truth. They were devoted, well, the apostles' teaching became the New Testament. They were devoted to apostolic teaching. They were devoted to the truth. Help us become a community more and more committed to the truth. Put on the belt of truth. And third, you put on the belt of truth by being filled with and submitted to the Holy Spirit of truth. Jesus said something just absolutely astonishing before he left. This was in um, John 16. He's given some some of his last instructions to his disciples. He's been with them for three years. Teaching them, ministering among them, having them follow him into ministry adventures, and at the very end, he, he said lots of amazing things, but maybe one of the things that is most stunning is he says in John sixteen seven, he says, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage or it's better for you that I go away. Because if I don't go away, I won't send to you the, the helper or the Holy Spirit, but if I go, I'll send him to you. Later on in John 16, he calls him the spirit of truth who will lead and guide into all the truth. We need to be spirit-filled men and women. Men and women full of God's spirit. He is the spirit of truth. I love this picture, and Jason alluded to it earlier, that we are individually, the temple of the Holy Spirit, and corporately, we are being built up to be a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 2 says. He's the Spirit of truth who leads and guides us into the truth. We need to be men and women full of the Spirit. I remember 10 or 11 or 12 years ago now, um, when i i would say i just had a powerful encounter i would say it was probably the first time i really experienced being filled with the spirit and it was an experience it was there was something dynamic about it there was something life-giving about it there was something f- full about it and he gave me such a hunger for his word He gave me such a hunger for the word of God. It's his words, right? Holy Spirit is the author of this book that I'm holding. Holy Spirit is the author of the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. And when I was filled with the Spirit, there was such a desire to know what God says, to know God's truth. It was so life-giving. We need to be men and women Filled with the spirit because he doesn't want us just just um, engaging in intellectual exercises, of having, getting our theology and doctrine in order. He wants to breathe his life into us by his truth. He wants to set us free. He wants to make us strong. He wants us to put on the belt of truth. So it seems like a place to land here this morning. Let's pray. What I want to do is I want to Pray for you and I, I want to take that last point. You know, when, um, when you and I are filled with the Holy Spirit, um, it's not like we get the power part of the Holy Spirit or the truth part of the Holy Spirit or the holiness part of the Holy Spirit. We get the Holy Spirit who is holy, who is the Spirit of truth, And who empowers us. And who gives us his fruit. Works his fruit into our lives. So when we ask for the Holy Spirit, I just want to ask that we would be filled this morning with this spirit of truth. The spirit of Jesus. The spirit of the Father. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just come before you. We need your truth. We need your truth, God. Our minds still lead us astray at times. Our hearts lead us astray at times if we live by our feelings or by our own thoughts, our own impressions. There's a lot of deception, false teaching in the world. And we want to stand strong against the schemes of the devil. We want to withstand in the evil day. We need your truth, God. We want to put truth on like a belt, like a Roman soldier would. And Lord, this morning, as we close, I just, I ask, Father, that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of truth. I talked earlier about being students of the Word and Holy Spirit would come, if he would come and fill us, I'm convinced we, we would have the desire to do that that maybe we don't have. So I just pray, Father, would you pour out your spirit upon us this morning? Holy Spirit, would you come down and breathe upon us in newness, with renewing power? You are the spirit of truth. I ask you to come and fill us afresh. You give us inspiration and encouragement to go after you. Pray that we lead this morning, God, putting on the belt of truth, determined, committed to be students of the truth, committing to each other to be a community of truth and seeking constantly to be filled with the spirit of truth. For God, your word says, your truth says, don't be drunk with wine, for that leads to dissipation, recklessness, But be filled and keep being filled with the Spirit. So fill us, God, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. As I was praying, if you ask to be filled with the Spirit, I love what Jesus says. He says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink and whoever believes in me out of his heart will flow rivers of living water and he goes on goes on to say that he was talking about the holy spirit who had not yet been poured out because jesus had not yet been glorified jesus has been glorified now which means we come to him thirsty and drink we believe in him and we receive his spirit afresh as a gift so go in faith This morning, put on the belt of truth. With the belt of truth on, I should say. Having fastened the belt of truth, you're dismissed.